Well, hello and welcome back to the Vineyard Church Podcast. We are finishing up James chapter 4 today with what may seem like a two-topic sermon. But Chris helps bring both sections together by showing how pride is at the root of each topic and many other areas of our lives. Here's Chris. We are in James chapter 4 today, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to James. If you've been with us over the last 14 weeks, your Bible just opens itself to James, which is really convenient. Uh, if you're new with us, James is in the back of the book, so if you go all the way to the back, there's a book there called Revelation, and then if you flip back a couple pages, you'll hit James. If you need a Bible, we've got free Bibles in the lobby uh, at the Next Step table, and uh, we've got study Bibles you can purchase as well. I really want to encourage you each and every week, bring a Bible, uh, take it home with you, make notes, uh, <clears throat> drill what we are learning. I mean, James is so rich with practical how to live, it, uh, not even advice, but, you know, this is, this is the stuff. Like, if you want to live the Christian life, if you want to live a victorious life, James has got it. But you got to get it not just into your ears, but into your head and down into your heart. And that takes time in the Word, not just hearing me say a few nice things about it, okay? So um, pick up a Bible if you don't have one. Bring it, read it, take notes in it. There you go. All right, um, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a situation where somebody said something unkind about you? Anyone? All right, just a handful of us. Okay, the rest of you have lived charmed lives. Um, you know, gossip and slander may be one of the most painful things that we deal with in life. There's, uh, and, and one of the most common painful things. There's a lot of painful things we deal with, but it stinks, doesn't it? I had a situation years ago where I had some people saying things that were not true about me to people that I cared about. Um, and, and to a lot of other people. And it was, it was a slander situation. It was a gossip situation. It was side conversations in hallways or, hey, let's get together for coffee. I want need to tell you about Chris. Um, let me tell you from personal experience, it sucks. It's awful. It is, it hurts. And James takes this topic head on. And in fact, James, and it's fun because today is really the passage that we're looking at, the verse 11 through 17, there's really two sermons in here, which I'm going to give both of them. So we're going to be here for an hour and a half. I'm just kidding. Um, but, but it really all backs up to one thing. And by the end of the message today, we'll, we'll, we'll hit what that is. But, <clears throat> but he takes on first this idea of slander and gossip, and boy, he takes it head on. Let's read. James chapter 4, verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but you are sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who the heck are you? Actually, the heck's not in there. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Before we jump into this, let me pray for us real quick. Lord, I pray um, that you would open our ears, our minds, and our hearts to your word today. Lord, I pray that 
that the thing that James is teaching us today, the things that James is teaching us today, would settle deep into our lives and inform and shape and direct the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. We could kind of stop there. I mean, that's, that's pretty straightforward, right? Cut it out. Stop it. Don't do that. Um, the word for slander there in the original language, it, it means this. It's the sin of those who meet in corners and gather in little groups and pass on confidential information which destroy the good name of those who are not there to defend themselves. This is gathering at the water cooler. This is, hey, let's have a little side meeting in my office or in the bathroom at school or wherever. I got to tell you about so-and-so and what they've done or who they are or, you know, what's happened to them. And as human beings, we love to do that. I mean, there is something deep inside our sinful nature that just really eats this up. Like, it's, it's, it is our natural propensity to talk about other people, is it not? Now, nowadays, a lot of this happens not in secret, it happens online. We feel like it's in secret, but it's actually out there for everybody to hear, but, but we do the same thing. We tear other people down. We pass judgment on other people online, and we feel justified for, in doing it because we're right, right? And, and, well, it's not like I have to see them face to face. And so there's a line of separation, so to speak. What James is, uh, is addressing here is, is gossip. He, 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 and, and, and gossip happens in many forms. You know, there's, there's Christian gossip. Anybody been a victim of Christian gossip? We need to pray for Brother Bob. You know, I mean, Bob's got... Don't tell anyone, but come on in. We've we got to have a prayer meeting. So we'll, we'll gossip in the name of, of a prayer meeting, right? And at the end of it, as long as we say, and bless his heart, it's all good, right? It's, it's, we, our intentions and our motives were good. You know, so there's Christian gossip. There's, there's you know, there's just what our world does. That's not necessarily even tried to be uh, wrapped in, in good intentions. It's just we're going we're gonna to talk. Maybe it's even malicious. There's no pretense of kindness there. You know, we, we gather our friends like, I've got to spill the tea here a little bit. We love to spill the tea. Sometimes we spill the tea on the Internet. You guys need to start drinking coffee, right? It's, I think that's James' point here. That's why we don't serve tea here at the vineyard. All right, so... This brings me to my first point, which is simply this, mom was right. Mom was right. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at All right, you guys got it. You guys got it. All right, but James doesn't leave it there, and that's what's significant about this passage. We all kind of know that, right? Sometimes we need to be reminded because we get pulled into it. And we're like, oh, oh, yeah, conviction. Yeah, shouldn't, shouldn't do that. All right, so it's a, it's a good reminder. Don't do that. But we all kind of know that because you all said all at the end, right? You all, you all know. You just need to remember. But then James cranks this up to another level. He makes it, he makes it much more significant. He said, anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them and speaks against the law and judges it. In other words, if you're, if, if you are 
or gossiping to somebody else about something in their life, you are passing judgment on what is going on in their life, what they're doing, what they're believing, what they're engaged in, what is, you're, you're passing judgment on them. And, you're, and thus, you're passing judgment on God's law. You are, have made yourself the arbiter of the law for their life. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it. You're sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, you, who the heck are you? James puts us in our place here. He says, who are you to judge your neighbor? See, when we speak against somebody, we're judging them, but we're not just judging them. We're judging God's law, and we're not qualified to do that. Only God is qualified to do that, and you're not God. Are you feeling the weight of what James is laying out here? This is not just, well, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Oh, no, we've crossed over into a significant area of sin in our lives. And he says, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And he puts us in our place. He reminds us that we are not God. And I know we don't think we need to be reminded of that, but we do. Because there are times in our lives, in our days, where we start to think that we are. We don't think that we're God, but we start acting like we are. And this is one of the ways that we do that. He humbles us. And this is the key. The key is humility. It is pride that feeds our desire to criticize other people. It is pride that feeds our desire to compare other people to ourselves and go, well, Brother Bob, you know. It's pride. I'm better. I'm at a higher level. I've got it figured out. They don't. All of it feeds pride, and pride feeds all of it. This is the underlying problem, and James takes it head on. He's putting us in our place. We have to have a proper assessment of ourselves. You're not all that, and you're definitely not God. He's humbling the reader. Now, I hope that puts a little more gravity on the situation. Like, not just if you can't say something nice, mom was right, but there's a lot of consequence behind that. James makes it clear. Now, there's a ton of confusion about this among Christians, and especially today, because we're like, we read a passage like this, and we're like, well, I don't want to judge anybody, right? And I get that. And um, what I'd like to do for a moment is just kind of hit time out on James here, uh, and, uh, and address the issue of judging because I think there's a ton of confusion about it. What does the Bible say about judge, judging and judging others? Well, James is reiterating, and he does this throughout the book. He's taking the teachings of his half-brother Jesus, and he is laying them out again in a very concise book for us to, to digest. And, and so what did Jesus say about this? Well, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus said this, 
Do not judge, or you too will be judged. He's addressing the Pharisees and the religious leaders who are self-righteous, who think they've got it all figured out, they are spiritually superior to everybody else, and they're standing in judgment on everybody else and keeping them away from God. He's like, cut that out. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, if you are a judgmental jerk, that's the way God is going to handle you. It's the amount of mercy you give is the amount of mercy you will receive. But if you don't think you need mercy, you just go on. But you need mercy. He's like, it's going to be measured to you with the measure you dish it out. And then he says this, and I love this. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye? You think you got it all figured out? You got a huge plank in your eye. In fact, the plank that you have in your eye is the fact that you think you have it all figured out. The plank that you have in your eye is your pride. Deal with that. Then you can help your brother. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus makes it really clear. We are not to stand in judgment on each other. That's God's job. That's God's job. He's countering the human tendency that he saw in the religious leaders of his day that we see in our own lives, if you follow God for any amount of time, to take our spiritual information, our spiritual truth that we have acquired along the way and twist it into hypocritical superiority. I've got it figured out. I'm at a higher level than they are. I need to speak into this either to judge them to their face or judge them to somebody behind their back. Jesus is saying very clearly here in Matthew 7, don't be judgy. Nobody likes judgy people. Judgy people don't even like judgy people. But what Jesus is not saying, what James is not saying, is that we are not to have judgment in our lives, that we're not to discern between what is right and what is wrong, that we're not to be able to tell from Scripture and from God's Word right from wrong. That would be very slippery ground, wouldn't it? If there were no right and no wrong, as our culture tends to, uh, to tell us, then everything just kind of is sinking sand. No, there is right and wrong. We are to make judgments. We're not to be judging. What's the difference? Well, I think what James and Jesus are getting at is we're not to pridefully place ourselves above others, tearing them down, pointing out what's wrong in their life, making ourselves the, uh, the judge of the law. Like, God can handle that. He's, if, if God is God, he can take care of correcting people and making things right. 
in their lives. Now, when we do this, we do it for a bunch of reasons, don't we? There, there, there's some motivations here. One is just to make ourselves feel better because if I'm better than they are, then I'm feeling pretty good about myself, right? We, we live in a culture of comparison. And so as we compare, we look, we think, well, I got it together. We do it because we like juicy gossip that's just kind of, kind of our sinful nature. We do it to make others look bad, maybe because we're mad at them or they've offended us in some way. Regardless of the reason, James is saying this is out of bounds. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is out of bounds. But that is not discernment between right and wrong. In fact, we must judge between what is right and what is wrong so we can apply it to our lives. The Bible has clear lists of what is right and wrong. Read the book of James again. <laughs> if you have missed the last, it takes a couple minutes to read the book of James. It takes us 18 weeks to go through it, but it takes a couple minutes to read the book. But, I mean, it is, a, it is one thing after another. This is wrong. This is wrong. Do this. Don't do that. The Bible has, uh, you know, very clear things in, that are, are out of bounds, that are just considered sin, that are offensive to God, that are harmful to other people. Theologians over the years have teased out, what, the seven deadly sins? Yeah, things like pride and envy and wrath and gluttony and lust, sloth, greed, these are things that will corrupt your life. These are things that if you don't make a moral judgment on and apply to your life and deal with in your life will undermine your life and your eternity. There is right and there is wrong. We must make those judgments. Absolutely. The book of Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul just goes on a tirade declaring what is right. And what is wrong? He says in verse 22, he says, although they claim to be wise, they've become fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. He's talking about idolatry. He's worshiping carved image or carved images and uh, turning from the God who made everything and worshiping the things that he made. And he's like, this is completely out of bounds. This is completely wrong. He says, therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised Amen. I love how he says amen, like, and then he keeps going. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to deprived or depraved mind so that they do what ought not be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Is this sounding like a list of what is wrong? 
It is. We have to be able to discern right from wrong, or we can't live in obedience to God. All right? So when we say, well, I don't want to judge, no, we have to make judgments. We don't have to be judgy. He goes on. They are, and I think this is wild, after that list, he goes, they're gossips. We got murder and gossips. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Let me talk to the kids for a minute. <laughs> Obey your parents, it's a big deal. I know culturally it's like, okay, boomer. Your parents aren't boomers, by the way. That would be your grandparents. Honor your elders. Honor your parents. That is God's will for your life. And it's right up there with murder, envy, and strife. Sexual immorality. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. This is what happens to your heart when you go down this road. See, this is why you have to be able to make judgments between what is right and what is wrong. Because when you give yourself over to these things, they take you over and they destroy your soul. They blind you to what is true and right. And you're left with no love, no mercy, no fidelity, no understanding. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. They cheer on others to go down the same road. See, Paul doesn't have a problem calling out what's wrong. The Bible does not have a problem making clear these are the things that will corrupt your soul. These are the things that will blind your mind. These are the things that will, this is the road to destruction. We have to be able to read. We have to be able to discern. We have to know right from wrong, guys. And in this world, when we're told there is no right or wrong, we all the more must know what is right and what is wrong. We must make judgments. I think this is a point of confusion for modern Christians. But there is a difference between this is sin and you're a sinner. Or have you heard? There's a difference. But Jesus and James seem to have a problem with making yourself the judge of other people. That seems to be where the, the rub is, right? God's the judge of other people. We don't get to judge somebody else's servant. Can we say something is wrong? Certainly we can. But it doesn't mean we're judgy. It doesn't mean we're gossipy. It doesn't mean we're, we get to condemn. We don't. Only God does. Jesus says clearly, deal with the plank in your own eye. And I'm here to tell you, when we get judgy, when we get gossipy, we are dealing with pride in our lives, and that is a plank to their speck. That is a plank to their speck. Does that make sense? We have to be able to look at ourselves. We get into trouble when we make our focus other people. That's our pride issue. 
Now, this is very nuanced, though, right? And, and I understand why there's confusion about this, because it is nuanced. We don't like nuance. We like to have our one verse that we can hold on to and go, okay, this is it. And the Scripture is, is, is usually when you consider the whole counsel of Scripture, it's usually, well, there's an, this extreme statement and there's another statement here and we bring it all together. And what is God really trying to say? It's not just I have this verse that's on my refrigerator. And so this is nuanced as well. The Apostle Paul instructs us in Galatians chapter 6 to help brothers and sisters caught in sin. Well, how do we do that? Well, you're going to have to make a judgment about what is sin and what is not to be able to even know if somebody is caught in sin, right? Is that what he's talking about? Let's, let's read this passage together. It's Galatians 6, 1. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person how? Gently. Okay, Paul is not describing a situation where we go and we get together with some people at church and we go, have you heard about Brother Bob? Does anybody say Brother Bob here? I don't think that's really kind of our culture, but at any rate, have you heard about Bob? Bob needs us to pray for him. Bob needs help. Bob, no. We walk with Bob. We have a relationship with Bob. We walk with Bob gently. We... There is, a, there is a love, which we we're about to see. This is what he, he goes on. He says, he says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So watch your own heart. Don't think you're all that, that you're above it as well. And then he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. All right. Can you gossip? and stand in judgment in someone, on someone and love them as yourself? Not very well. Can you walk with them through a difficult situation or a situation where they've gone off the rails in their life and you care about them and you have a relationship with them and you, you walk that out together and you carry one another's burdens? That's a very different thing, isn't it? You bet it is. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Don't get a big head because you have it figured out and they don't. Again, humility. Each one should test their own actions. Keep your eyes on you primarily, not judging the other person. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Is there a judgment in there that, oh, yeah, that's sin? Oh, Bob, you're having an affair with someone? Yeah, that's sin. But you and I have a relationship. We have the, you, you and I can talk about what's going on. You might even be broken about it. Let's walk out of this together. Let's bear one another's burdens. But that's not how it usually goes, right? Usually it's like, oh, Bob's an adulterer or whatever. Guys, we must make judgment on sin so that we can apply that to our lives so that we can guide and lead our families well, so that we can influence our society in the right direction, right? I mean, we live in a representative um, republic and democracy so that we can, 
we can influence society in the right direction. You know, we must societally kind of stand on what is right and what is wrong. You know, murder is always wrong. Well, okay. There are judgments. And we must make judgments so that we can humbly walk with a brother or sister through a trying time, or if they're off the rails, back onto the rails and back into their relationship with God, with love and humility. It is not our judge, our job to stand in judgment on people. That's God's judge, job. Ultimately, he will be the judge, and ultimately they will answer to him, not you. Deal with the plank in your own eye. Which brings me to point number two. We must make moral judgments while avoiding being judgmental jerks. We must make moral judgments, but we must avoid being judgmental jerks. And then James switches gears. It seems like a second sermon, and it kind of is. Um, at the end, there's one solution, there's one core root of the problem, and it's the solution, that, that solution is the key to walking well with God. That solution is the key to winning at life. That solution is the key to being the person you ultimately want to be. So we'll get to that in a minute. But let's uh, pick up in verse 13. He says, different thought, same problem. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, James, as he writes this letter, initially it wasn't the book of James. It was a letter from James to a church. And whatever church that was, we don't know which church it was or which region it was in. It ended up getting circulated to all the churches and eventually became the book of James and eventually got incorporated into the New Testament. Right? But he is addressing a specific situation in a specific town and in a specific group of people. And one of the problems that they had was they were boasting arrogantly about their selfish schemes. And he's taking that head on. Boastfully proclaiming their plans as if they were in charge of what was going to happen in their lives. Now, I want to be clear. James is not rebuking the making of plans. He is the Scripture is, is clear that making plans is good. There's some caveats to how we make our plans, but making plans is a good thing to do. So this is not an attack on plans, just to be clear. For those of you who love to plan, you're like, whew. For those of you who don't like to plan, you're like, I don't care anyway because I'm not going to plan. Um, but he's not attacking plans. He's, a, he's rebuking arrogant schemes and boasting as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. What's an arrogant scheme? An arrogant scheme is a plan 
that is exclusively for our benefit, for my enrichment, for my um, glory alone. It doesn't take into consideration other people. It doesn't take into consideration God and what he might have to say about all of that. It's an arrogant scheme. It's all about me. What's at the root of that? Pride. Pride. And he says, all such boasting is evil. Boasting is speaking as if you are in charge of your life, like you control everything. This is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to, and, 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 you know, look at me, look at me, look at me. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will, we're going to go do this and we're going to go do that. We're going to, but if it's not, God's got permission to mess with my plans. Have you ever given God permission to mess with your plans? Super important because your plans probably aren't going to work out quite the way you expect them to anyway. Give him permission to do that. Here in West Virginia, we say this, this phrase, if it is the Lord's will, how do we say it? Lord willing in the crick don't rise. That's right. That's right. We're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to, um, do this project or this plan or this thing or this ministry or whatever it is, or I'm, I'm planning on moving to, you know, the other side of town, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, right? We don't want to. So you can get extreme with this, right? You don't have to go, hey, honey, I'm running to Kroger's. I'll be back in 15 minutes, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. That's not what he's talking about here, all right? You don't have to put this in front of or at the end of everything you say or every little plan you're going to do. He is talking about boastfully uh, proclaiming our arrogant schemes. And so, first of all, we have to deal with the arrogant schemes part of this. The second part is we need to deal with the boastful part of this. We need to season our proclamations with humility because... You don't have control over all that anyway, which he makes very, very clear. Brings me to point three, which has four points. I love it. I snuck in an extra four points. All right. Point three, making plans is fine and good as long as God gets input on the front end. Are you making your plans without God? You might want to consider stopping that. Every week we open our staff or our executive team meeting at church uh, with prayer. And uh, if I'm praying, I say, Lord, we, we want your plans, not ours. We want what you want more than we want what we want. Would you guide and direct? Would you give us your plans, your plans first? Jesus put it this way, your will, not mine. It's a good place to start. Making plans is fine and good. In fact, it's important, but get God's input on the front end. Secondly, God has permission to mess with your plans. In the event that you didn't quite hear him quite right, God, you can mess with my plans. Now, some of us are starting to get twitchy because once we have a plan, we don't like anybody to mess with our plan, not even God. We'll have therapy for you after the, after the, the service. Give God permission to mess with your plans. It's, it is arrogant to think that God won't mess with your plans. 
Third, we don't boast about them. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at my plans. We, not that we don't speak about them. We handle them with humility. And number four, making plans is fine and good as long as they aren't all about us. If it's all about you, then you are the center of your universe, and that is a dangerous place to be. And, and James hits, hits us with that. He goes, you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You know, on the timeline of history, you're a vapor. It's like, and then you're gone. Nobody's going to remember you in 100 years. You ain't all that. And on the timeline of eternity, you're definitely a vapor. He is, again, humbling us, reminding us of the reality of our existence. Now, in a culture where everything is about us, where we are told we are the center of our universe and it's the way it should be and it's all about us and it's all about getting more and it's all about our comfort and it's all about our fame and it's all about us, James is like, you're a mist. Remember, your this is perspective. Now, this is nuanced too because one of the things God wants you to understand is that if you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been adopted into his family, and you are a kid of the king. You are a prince or princess, an heir or heiress. You are, you're special. And at the same time, don't let that go to your head. You're a mist. You're a mist. I'm going to bring some humility into this situation. There's nothing worse than an heir or heiress who doesn't have humility. Which brings me to the fourth point, which is actually the eighth point, but who's counting? Here we go. Pride is the root of all sin and pain. Let's say it again. Pride is the root of all sin and pain. Humility is the antidote. Now, I know I'm starting to sound like a freaking broken record up here because this has been the theme for the last 14 weeks. James keeps coming back to this theme of humility. And if you walk away from this series with one thing, I hope maybe you'd be willing to look at the plank in your own eye, that you would be willing to assess your humility, pride, quotient, that you would be willing to at least look and deal with this issue in your life and make the necessary adjustments because this is what the book of James is about, certainly what today's passage is about. Pride is the root of all sin and pain. Humility is the antidote. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, the Bible teaches that pride is the deadly root of our sins and sorrows. It is the great sin found this article as I was preparing uh, in, a, in a commentary. It says this, it says, pride is, is a mental health issue. Pride is a mental health issue. You wonder why mental health is at an all-time high in our world, uh, you know, at least in our lifetimes. 
Why, why that's a problem? Well, it backs into this. The, the article says this. It says, the widespread chronic preoccupation with self in American culture, for example, is rooted in pride and can give rise to or intensify our emotional problems. A famous Harvard psychologist observed, any neurotic, any neurotic is living a life which in some respects is extreme in its self-centeredness. The region of his misery represents a complete preoccupation with himself. The very nature of the neurotic disorder is tied to pride. If the sufferer is hypersensitive, resentful, capacious, he may be indicating a fear that he will not appear to the advantage in competitive situations where he wants to show his worth. If he is chronically indecisive, he is showing fear that he may do the wrong thing and be discredited. If he is overly scrupulous and self-critical, he may be endeavoring to show how praiseworthy he really is. Thus, most neuroses are from the point of view of religion mixed with the sin of pride. It makes us nuts. God understood that. It corrupts our hearts. It makes us nuts. In Micah 6, the prophet sums up what it is to have a life with God. He says, he has shown you, O mortal, or O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And you know what? Mercy and justice hang on the humility of those who give it. It all backs up to humility. What is it that God wants from us? He wants us to walk humbly with him and to humbly give away his justice and mercy that he has given so freely to us. Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't live a life that's all about you. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. The famous pastor and theologian John Stott said this, pride is your greatest enemy, humility is your greatest friend. C.S. Lewis again said this, he said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that, they're mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation, in every family, since the world began. St. Augustine, St. Augustine, both taught that pride was the root of sin. In Genesis chapter 3, the devil uses pride to bring down our, the first humans, Adam and Eve, he, he very cleverly shifts the center of gravity in their mental lives from God to them. It's about them. They become the center of their world, pride. Proverbs 11, 2, pride leads to disgrace. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. Read the story of Uzziah, King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26. He's a... 
He starts out as a young king and, and seeks the Lord and does things God's way, and he is just blessed and blessed and success after success after success. And it's those successes that lead to his pride which ultimately lead to his fall. If you are successful, God bless you. Watch your heart. And don't think, watch, watch the plank in your eye too, don't think that you are above pride. King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, Haman and the story of Esther, pride, pride, pride brings destruction. The parable that Jesus tells about the tax collector and the Pharisee at the temple and the, the Pharisee is like, stands and prays out loud at the temple, oh God, thank you that you have made me so righteous that, that I, you know, I tithe and I, I do the ceremonies and I follow all the rules and I do this and I'm not like this wretched tax collector here. And the tax collector just hung his head and said, oh God, oh God, oh God, have mercy on me. A sinner. And Jesus asked his audience, who do you think walked away justified before the Lord that day? And the answer is clear. It's the tax collector. Humility and pride. And Jesus finished by saying, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted. I could go on for quite a while because the Bible's full of this. What does biblical humility look like? Well, I've heard it said it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. What is the center of your universe? Is it you? It's not, not oh, I suck, I suck, I suck. That's, don't do that. I think biblical humility looks like beginning our plans with God in the mix and continuing our plans with him having permission to mess with them. That's biblical humility. Biblical humility is placing others before ourselves. If we have positions of authority, power, or influence, it's using those positions of authority, power, or influence to benefit the people around us, not to be served ourselves. It's called servant leadership. It's looking to platform the people around us rather than platform ourselves. We could go on, but I think you get the picture. Read the book of James again. So I want to leave you with a couple questions. It's kind of a heavy message today. Because this applies to every single one of us. Every one of us, every one of us is tempted by pride. And if we think we aren't, you're especially tempted by pride. Four questions. Write these down. Wrestle with them this week. Does your life revolve around you? Does your life revolve around you? Two. Is pride in the way of total surrender to God? 
Is your pride in the way of you totally surrendering to God? Because it's still all about you. Three, what area of your life is pride the biggest problem in? Ask that question. Sit with the Lord in silence. Let him speak into your life. And fourth, who do you need to apologize to for gossip or judgmentalism? And don't assume that you don't, because I think we all do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, I can't believe it. We just, it's just a few verses, and there's so much there. God, as you put your finger on the, the thing that's behind the thing that's behind the thing that keeps sabotaging our lives, God, would you give us the eyes to see? Would you help us to humble ourselves in your sight that you might lift us up? God, would you help us to live in a way that is so countercultural to what our world's got going on? It's not all about us. It's all about you and the good and glory we can bring to you by bringing good and blessing to others. Lord, help us to make plans that bring you honor and glory. Help us to boast in, in the grace and mercy that you have given us. And help us to humbly give away the mercy, grace, and love that you have poured into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.